following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Chapter 5, as we continue midway through a series in the Minor Prophets and through the book of Amos in particular. I must have been about four years of age when on one occasion I had a neighbor friend over to play, and we were up in my room playing, and after a while things grew strangely quiet, so my mother came upstairs to double check, and she appeared in our room, and neither my friend or or myself could be found. And a bit dismayed, she began to search throughout the house and found that we were nowhere in the house. And a little startled, she called my neighbor friend's mother, and we hadn't gone over to his house either. And so as one thing led to another, my mom began to call the neighbors, and, and before she knew it, a little search party began to develop to begin combing the neighborhood and the, the streets and the backyards and so forth. And uh, my mother had notified the police as well. Well, just before a search, a massive search party began to develop, uh, the policeman came into the house, searched the house, went back to double-check the room, and thought to open the closet door. Well, there he found sleeping peacefully was myself and my neighbor friend taking a nice afternoon nap in the uh, Houston summer heat. Well, our text tonight compels us to earnestly seek the Lord. And we find ourselves in a world where where people are very much aware uh, of sin and judgment and yet aren't quite sure where to search. In fact, many people are frantic, searching about like my mother was, trying to find hope and solution, but searching in the wrong places. Well, like that policeman, the Lord sends the prophet Amos to guide his people as to where to search, where it is to go to seek the Lord and find real peace and salvation. I invite you to follow with me as I read Amos chapter 5, which we consider this grave judgment oracle of God's Word, and yet we find here a, a, a powerful challenge to seek the Lord and live. Let us read Amos chapter 5. Hear this word, O house of Israel. This lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will have only a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile. And Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Or he will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. It will devour and Bethel 
will have no one to quench it. You who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns blackness into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. You trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes, and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, says. There will be wailing in all of the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness. I hate I despise your religious feast. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings? Forty years in the desert, O house of Israel. You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Let us pray. Father, under this grim pronouncement of judgment and woe, we would tremble and quake, and we would seek refuge under the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ. We ask, O Lord, that you would be with us, illumine this text to our minds and hearts, and help us to see Jesus and him only, in whose name we do pray. Amen. My children, like most, enjoy playing a game of hide-and-seek. 
And uh, as it goes in our household, the older ones who have already discovered most of the uh, good hiding places have to pass on the joy to the younger children who have the joy of discovering new and exciting hiding places. And uh, as I play hide-and-seek with my children, you know, especially with the younger ones, I could hide for a really long time if I wanted to. Uh, I, I, I could veil myself, I could uh, make myself um, unfoundable. But then as a parent, you hear, you hear the whining and the whimpering of a desperate child struggling to find his or her mother or father, and your heart is moved to pity. And so you yield and let them find you. To many people, God is hidden. And in many ways, God is hidden to us. God is not easy to find. And yet we find in Scripture that God likes to be found. It is not impossible to find him. He has given us clues, and he encourages us in his word to seek and search after him. Unlike the gods of our culture, the attitude of many people in our day who embark upon a kind of never-ending search with no clear destination. We have a God who desires to be found and to be known personally by genuine seekers who are led along by his Holy Spirit. There was a problem in the days of Amos, and a problem not unlike our own, where many people sought after a God of their own making, and so consequently became enslaved to all kinds of vices, materialistic greed and injustice. False gods always lead people down the pathway to death. Our passage tonight challenges us to reject the ways of idolatry and injustice, and rather to seek after the living God that we might live and dwell with him forever. There are at least three ways in which chapter 5 encourages us to seek the Lord in a spirit of repentance in a quest for renewal, and in the pursuit of righteousness. Chapter 5 begins with Amos, the prophet, exhorting us to hear the word of the Lord. And no doubt by this time, his original audience might have been growing weary of hearing these very grim pronouncements against them and their, their attitudes, their beliefs, and their behaviors. So, once again, Amos uses very startling imagery in verse 2 to try to awaken their attention. Now, many times before this, Israel had been referred to as the virgin daughter of Yahweh. She was his pride and joy, like the only beloved daughter of Jephthah, the warrior judge who, in a foolish vow, brought a sad demise to his young daughter's life. Well, much worse terrors would fall upon the people of Israel who would be abandoned from those who would defend them from their aggressors. Young women in that culture whose people were defeated would become the property of the victors and would suffer the, under the mercy of their own ravishing passions and threats. Not much unlike what happens today in Central and Southern Africa, 
in a war-torn country where women are oftentimes abused. So like the little servant girl who would become the slave of Naaman the Syrian in the book of Kings, so Israel as a nation would go into captivity. Now verse 2 offers this pronouncement of astounding defeats as uh, God pronounces judgment upon his people. The people have been used to prosperity and wealth under the strong reign of Jeroboam II. But within a generation or two, all of Israel's vast armies and military would be reduced and cut down by 90%. It says a thousand strong will have only a hundred left. A hundred strong would have only ten left. Now, the United States military has 1.45 million in active duty and 833,000 people in the reserves for a total of 2.27 million people serving in our armed forces. A 90% reduction or a 90% mutilation of the U.S. forces would reduce it to just 227,000 soldiers and support. Far, far cry and inadequate to protect our people, our borders, and our international interests. So we see something of the, the devastation that is about to fall upon the people of Israel. Well, we skip over to the very end of chapter 5 in verse 27, where the Lord for the first time makes explicit his pronouncement of judgment that Israel indeed will go off into exile. Back in chapter 1, you recall that such judgment was pronounced upon Israel's pagan neighbors, who indeed would go into exile across the river Euphrates. But this is the first time that God, through his prophet, reveals that indeed his own people would suffer punishment and judgment for their sin and idolatry. So, in this grave and dire situation. What are the people to do? Amos exhorts him. Seek the Lord and live. He repeats the command in verses 4 and 6. And if we hone in and focus on the central part of the passage in verses 14 and 15, we see that he is calling them to seek the Lord in a spirit of repentance. Now, repentance means an about-face turning a full 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Verse 14 says, Seek good, not evil. He's commanding them to flee. Flee from evil and cling and seek after what is good and right. And the reason is because we have a God who is holy. He is light. He is truth. He is holy, holy, holy. A God who cannot tolerate any evil or wickedness, a God with whom there is no shadow of turning, who cannot allow any darkness in his presence. And it is this great and awesome God who had entered graciously into our covenant relationship with his people to make them a holy nation and a royal priesthood, a people set apart to magnify his glory and his holiness among the nations as his sons and daughters. They and we were called to reflect his goodness and his glory for the splendor of his majesty and holiness. And so thus he can say in verse 15, with great intensity, hate evil and love good. 
we find the Apostle Paul capturing and repeating this verse in Romans 12, verse 9, exhorting God's people in a new generation to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. One of the first signs and call of a repentant people to turn away from deeds that the Lord hates and to pursue that which we, He loves. Well, notice as we look deeper into verses 14 and 15, in the second half of each verse, the exhortation of Amos is, is to not seek good for mere goodness' sake, but rather as a consequence, as a result, as a response to the fact that, that God has entered into a gracious relationship with us, that, that we are called, as God intended to be, in a right relationship with Him. It says in verses 14 and 15 that the people are to seek what is good so the Lord can be with them. We echo back to the days of Moses when the Lord threatened to withdraw His presence from the people of Israel because of their sin of idolatry with the golden calf. And Moses pleads with Yahweh to not depart, but to remain with the people. That is what our hope and aim, is to be in God's presence forever and to enjoy His blessing and His favor even in this life as we journey through the valley. But in verse 15, it says that perhaps the Lord would be merciful, clinging to the precious truth that we have a God who is slow to anger, who is abounding in steadfast love, who can forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin for those who repent and turn away from their folly. A couple of years ago, I used MapQuest to direct me down to Washington Dulles Airport. I needed to catch a flight to go down to Memphis, Tennessee for a funeral for my aunt, an event that I was speaking at. And as I was driving into the Washington, D.C. area, I was a bit surprised that it was routing me through the city of Washington, D.C. And as I got further into the heart of the city, I realized this could not be the way. And I stopped and consulted. And this is, I didn't have a GPS system. I didn't have a handheld internet device. So I, but I did have an atlas, and I could tell that it was routing me to Reagan National Airport. Even though MapQuest, clearly, the destination was very clearly Washington Dulles. The directions were pointing me to the south side of the city, Whereas Dulles, as you know, is way out on the west side of the city. Well, I, I knew just enough about the city that I was able to maneuver my way and hightail it on the speedway. And by God's grace, and by some sanctified haste, I made my flight with about a minute to spare. Well, I had to change course. I had to go in a different direction in order to successfully arrive at my destination. And there are many people, and perhaps some here tonight, who need to make a radical change in their life's direction. You know, many people have been given the wrong directions. They have the, the right destination. They want to go to heaven. But they have the wrong directions. Those directions are telling them to try harder, to, to, to be better, to earn your way in God's sight. You know, like Israel who assumed that they had the right directions. But to continue on such a course with the wrong directions is to miss the way. Repentance requires that we recognize our error, our ignorance, and even our sinful complicity where we are deserving 
the wrath and the judgment that we deserve. And so the call to repentance requires us to do everything necessary to change course, to move from the pathway that leads to death, and to get on the pathway that leads to life through Jesus Christ. And as a consequence of that pursuit, we're called to condemn what is evil, to seek what is good in the sight of God, to pursue God's goodness, and to abandon all self-centered efforts to make our peace with God, not to abuse Him or to make Him impersonal, rather to learn to live by His grace, to pursue a personal God, to seek what He desires, to enjoy life in His presence and trust in His unfailing guidance. Well, we continue on this theme of, of life by considering how we are also called to seek renewal in God's presence. In kind of making bookends around the whole chapter is this call to renewal, seeking life in the proper worship of God. Now, in the opening verses, and actually throughout the book of Amos, it becomes very clear that the source of corruption for the people of Israel is that they for so long had sought the wrong things. The Lord says in verse 4, Seek me and live. He says what to seek, and then he follows it up with with what not to seek. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal, and so forth. Of course, he is referring here to places of false worship, where there were altars set up to false gods. Bethel, as you well know, was the place where Jacob met God where Jacob on his, on his uh, journeys uh, saw the Lord in a vision of angels ascending and descending upon this great ladder or stairway reaching up to heaven. Well, sadly, it was also at Bethel that Israel to the north, first king, Jeroboam, set up a calf idol to prevent the northern tribes from making a pilgrimage down to Jerusalem where, uh, in, in order not to return to the Judaic kingdom. And as the history went along, as people would continue to worship at Bethel and these other high places, these people who thought that obeying the king would bring them life and prosperity, these people that thought that obeying the secular rulers would bring them the abundant life that they were hoping for, as a result, would only bring them death and destruction. This judgment is illustrated in verse 6 by the promise of, of a great fire that judgment would fall, that exile would fall upon on Israel, like a great fire sweeping through the house of Joseph, with no one left, no firefighters to quench the flames. I read recently about a pastor and his wife who, during their seminary days, had to watch helplessly as all of their worldly possessions burned to a crisp, as their entire apartment complex caught on fire and burned to the ground. And this pastor writes years later how all of his theological assertions that Jesus was sufficient, that the Lord was enough for him, were severely tested in the fires of that trial. He was convicted with how much his life was attached to all those material possessions. Losing all your clothing, all your appliances, all your technology and your gadgets, all your photographs, all your personal items going up in flames. Yes, sometimes such trials awaken us. They stir us. They get our attention. 
and like a great brush fire that destroys the ground and yet makes the ground more fertile for future growth. So hearts that are sown in great toiling trials can produce soil that bring forth ripened fruit of righteousness. The theme of life and renewal continues in verses 21 to 23 of our passage where the Lord rebukes the people for their empty and impersonal religion. He says, I hate, I despise your religious feast. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for them. The Lord was not impressed. The people could be as religious as they wanted to be, and yet it was all for show. It did not sink down to the heart level. It was all pomp and fanfare, and, and it may have been very costly, spending lots of money on their pomp and fanfare, and yet the Lord recognized their hearts were not in it, that it was not about relationship, that it was not about genuine sacrifice and service, that there was no real dependency upon the Lord their God, but mere empty ritual and efforts at manipulating their God to get their prosperity, their hearts desired. Well, I'm afraid that our day is not all too different from the days of Amos. We too are a people and a culture afflicted with the worship of false gods of rampant idolatry, of great spiritual decay and moral decay that leads to death. And so as we learn from the Word of God, we realize that spiritual renewal requires repentance. It requires a turning away from those things that are robbing us of life and vitality and turn to Him who alone is the source and giver of all life. You know, we live in a culture that tempts us to cave in to the quick fix, to seek after solutions, immediate solutions to our common everyday problems. Like our government, who continues to raise the debt ceiling, but not addressing the underlying fundamental problems of entitlements. So you and I continue to raise our own debt ceilings and not dealing with the underlying relational problems between us and our God or the people we love and care about the most. We continue to increase our debt load rather than pay and deal with the underlying issues. You know, that pastor whose apartment burned down, he realized that day that if he had the Lord, and by God's grace still had his wife, he did have enough. Friend, are you content? Would you be content if all you had was the Lord? And, and even if it was sweeter, if you still had your family, and your closest, most precious relationships, would that be sufficient for you? We must ask ourselves as we consider the judgment, the judgment call here, do we really need all of our stuff? Are we willing to live as God's people, a people set apart? to live sacrificially, to live with earnestness, to live in such a way that we would seek God, to seek that our God is glorified, that His 
beauty and splendor will be magnified in our lives, even if it is a great personal cost and sacrifice to us. The Lord calls us, each one of us who call ourselves Christians, into a vital relationship with himself, something that Israel rejected, something that many of the disciples turned back and rejected in the face of Jesus when his teaching became too hard and too personal. Friends, Jesus came that you and I might have life and have it abundantly. Spiritual renewal looks something like our forefather Jacob, who abandoned all of his household gods and took his family back to Bethel to worship Yahweh. It looks like stopping, stop treating God like the blessing dispenser in the sky, and come to him as father, not for our weekly allowance, but for the warmth and the tenderness and the fellowship that only our God can provide to his children. One addition to seeking repentance and renewal. The prophet Amos exhorts us in chapter 5 to seek righteousness. And we see this firstly with a brave and courageous call to justice. In a verse that was made very famous by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the civil rights era, Amos 5.24 illustrates, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. The image here reminds us of the recent swellings in the, of the Mississippi River over overtaking its banks and its levees, threatening communities and up the tributary banks. Here, rather than a, a grim vision of destruction, Amos envisions a great flood of blessing where God's people will correct wrongs done. Like Zacchaeus, willing to make right what he had done wrong. It means a call to do justice, to stop evildoers and bring them to justice, to labor in places of power, to end corruption, to bring an end to bribery. The specifics earlier in chapter 5 are very, very, very vivid. In verse 10, Amos convicts the people of being guilty of despising those who tell the truth, who tell the truth and speak it in the courts. Well, we see that today as well. There's a hatred for the truth. There is a hatred towards those who teach one way of salvation through Jesus Christ. There is animosity towards those who insist upon living within one's financial means, whether as a government or in our homes and businesses. There is hostility towards those who would teach the truth about God's ideal design for marriage in the expression of human sexuality, and all manner of other controversial issues where the truth is suppressed and the people want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. And so, like the people of Amos' day in verse 11, whom Amos chastises for trampling upon the poor, likely in the form of excess taxation or putting people in bondage, through usury, through excessively high interest rates. Well, 
in response to this, these grave injustices. The Lord, through the prophet Amos, offers a stern rebuke in verse 18. It seems that the people of this day were presumptuous. Presumptuous about the great day of the Lord. They were looking forward to the day of the Lord as a great day of liberty and vindication. They assumed that the day of the Lord would be the day of judgment upon Israel's enemies and the day vindicating the nation of Israel. According to Amos, they were sadly mistaken. In a similar fashion, the people of Jesus' day assumed that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Roman authorities and usher in a new age of freedom, of independence, and prosperity. Rather, they would reap instead the destruction and sacking of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. These grim passages of judgment make me tremble to think about our own culture, our own nation, wondering, perhaps, is America presumptuous? as being blessed and unique in God's sight, assuming that we might be spared judgment that is well-deserved for cultural godlessness, for religious hypocrisy, for excessive materialistic greed, for rapidly increasing deficits, and massive disregard for what is holy, neglect for the weak and the vulnerable, the poor, for racial injustice and all manner of offenses that bring great sorrow and arouse the wrath of a holy God. Friends, we must pray. And if judgment begins with the house of God, we must humble ourselves and seek where we must repent and ask the Lord's mercy upon a people that are well-deserving of judgment. You see, the day of the Lord meant exile for Israel in Amos' day. For the first century Jews, it meant the sacking of Jerusalem. What does it mean for us today? Judgment upon our nation, upon the West, Western nations, on perhaps in the form of economic chaos, perhaps in the form of, of what, what other manner of judgment that the Lord would bring upon a people who have turned away from Him, perhaps in manner of rebuking the church that has become worldly and unholy, failing to preach Christ to people who are desperately needy for the message of salvation. Whatever form of judgment the Lord and His wisdom would choose to bring upon us in our lifetimes, we know that ultimately the day of the Lord is fulfilled in the return of Christ. That the day is coming. That even though people will try to predict, and people will try to pronounce days on the radio, or the internet, or on billboards, Anticipating the day that Jesus will come, we know that uh, that day is a mystery to us. And we need to be prepared whether that day is tomorrow or a thousand years from now. But friends, you and I look forward to the day of the Lord, not because we'll be vindicated, but because Christ will be vindicated. On that great and awesome judgment day of the Lord, the battle will be complete. The enemies of God will be brought to judgment. And you and I who are in Christ, will stand as victors. Not because we're so good. Not because we are so deserving, but because through Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. And we stand in a righteousness, an alien righteousness that is not our own, but has been purchased, that has been earned, 
that has been bought through the costly sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not on our own merits, but through him who conquered, who has defeated our foes of sin, death, and Satan. Friends, the call to righteousness on one side means a call to do justice, to bring relief to those who are oppressed by inequities. But it also has a very clear other dimension, that righteousness is to free those from spiritual oppression. Through the only Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. And we turn now to the last three verses of our passage to consider a final rebuke of the Lord, of convicting his people of, wrong, of a wrong-headed idea and notion about sacrifices. He asks them a rhetorical question. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert? He corrects them for fearing their king, but not fearing the Lord their God, for worshiping at false altars and self-made gods. All such sacrifices were worthless in the Lord's sight. We know from Scripture that the Lord desires mercy, not sacrifice. As he spoke through Samuel to King Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. So what is it that God desires from us? Perhaps it's like with my children, who I prefer that they would want to obey. Would I want them to obey me out of fear or to love me? Would I rather them to know me and love me in all their faults and all of their folly rather than to mere obey me out of fear of my wrath, of lacking a heart-level affection towards me, their father. I believe that God has planted a desire in parents to want genuine filial obedience from their children, a relationship that's based on trust and dependence and encouragement. And the Lord has planted that in us that we might understand his heart for his own children. You know, David says in Psalm 51, verse 7, that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Sacrifice in religion that is mere service for hire is offensive to God. Sacrifice that leaves the person in charge and control is abomination to God. The only sacrifice is acceptable before the sight of God is one that comes with total and unhindered abandonment. And friends, that, that sacrifice of total abandonment is found through Jesus Christ. That's only through Jesus that you and I find a perfect sacrifice, a perfect righteousness. Friends, we, have, we look no farther we search nowhere else than the very foot of the cross at Calvary. It's there that God's righteous requirements are met in us. And it's at the cross that you and I meet God personally, face to face in all of our brokenness, in all of our humility and weakness, where we meet something glorious, the victory of Jesus Christ who makes us righteous in the holy sight of God. When it comes to playing hide-and-seek with my children, when it's my turn to be it, and my children giggle and run off and hide, 
My children like to hide, but they also like to be found. There are many people who are hiding from God. Some who want to be found. Some who are not quite sure. In their flesh, they are running from God. But perhaps secretly hoping that they will be found by somebody who will seek after them. Who will point them the way to salvation. Friends, we have a gracious God who did not wait for us to come seeking him. We have a God who sent his son to seek and to find and to save the lost. Friends, you and I have an elder brother who did go after the prodigal to pull him out of the pigsty of life and be restored into fellowship with the Father. Friend, if you are running and hiding from God, let me encourage you to seek And perhaps not so much to find God, but to be found by Him. To let Him find you. To call upon Him in your distress. And say, here I am. Come find me. And we all have loved ones. And people that we care about, that we know, are lost. We are called to seek after them. To nudge them. To pray for them. To encourage them to make available to them the pathway of salvation, to leave the broad pathway that leads to destruction, and to find the way over to the narrow path that leads to salvation through Jesus Christ. Friend, be found by Him. Let the sovereign and gracious God take control of your life, to take up residence in your very heart. And friends, if we would be found in Christ, we can face the judgment to come. For that day is coming when the search will be over, when all of us in Christ will arrive at our glorious destination and be secure forever in His everlasting arms. Let us pray. Father, we thank You that You do seek us that you have sought and found us, and that we are yours forever through Jesus Christ. Help us to be those who seek and to find, to help the lost come to the Father. And may we learn what it means to seek you and serve you, and delight in you and, and bring glory to your name all of the days of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.